Experience the beauty and emotion of Lent and Easter with Christianity Today's newest devotional, Easter, in the everyday. Thoughtful readings from a variety of pastors, theologians, and writers invite you into the emotional stages of Christ's journey, from humility to hope to love. Beginning on Ash Wednesday and ending at Pentecost, this digital devotional is perfect for individual or group study. Get it today at orderct.com slash easter24. I think first off, I didn't set out to make an album, which I think is maybe important. Another factor is I'd been feeling before this quarantine ever hit, before this pandemic ever hit, I really felt like the Lord had been telling me to like not tour. Like it, his words were strong, like don't tour anymore. And But then it was like, man, any musician, you know, that part of your vocation's like gone indefinitely. And so in some ways it was just confirming to me like, whoa, you were, you were leading me this direction before this thing ever happened. Welcome back to the Transforming Discipleship Podcast brought to you by smallgroups.com. It's a podcast designed for church leaders desiring to make disciples for Jesus Christ in the world. I'm your host, Oliver Hersey, and today we are joined by the talented singer-songwriter Josh Garrett who created an album in quarantine recently titled Peace to All Who Enter Here. It's got a mix of classic hymns and worship songs, and it is a joy to listen to. Recently, in the past few years, Christianity Today rated one of Josh's other albums, Love and War and Sea, as the album of the year. And they called the album, quote, prophetic, incisive, achingly human, and longingly spiritual, end quote. And I, Josh, have personally enjoyed listening to songs like Bread and Wine and your rendition of Farther Along is one of our family's favorite songs to listen to. And Josh, we're very happy to have you here on the podcast joining us today. So how's life for you today? Great, great. Yeah, thanks for having me. So good to have you on. So where are you at right now? Where are you living right now? You're- well, right now I'm in our den, which is inside our house here in Muncie, Indiana, which is about, you know, 45 minutes northeast of the capital city of Indiana, Indianapolis. So it's a small college town. So we live right off Ball State campus, which is where I went to school years ago. Before that, you were in Portland, right? You were out west for a few years? Yeah, we are in Portland, Oregon for about eight years. We lived out there. Before that, we were in North Carolina for about a year. And then before that, we were in Indiana. So kind of full okay. circle coming back here. Yeah. We have very close friends that lived out in Portland around the same time you were out there as well. He, uh, Our friend worked for Nike. Okay. Yeah, Nike's headquarters is, is in Portland. And they've just migrated back to the Midwest too. And we were just with them a few weekends ago. So it was kind of fun to be with them. Now, we are very excited to talk about your album and the concept of peace. But before we do, we have a very important question. I mean, you are moving and we want to know where you're moving to because Kelsey and I have a vested interest. In- <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, like as of this conversation with you guys, you might be the first like public to know. We've kept it pretty quiet. Is it, is it okay? Is it okay that we're yeah, watching? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. But as things are still in the work, because me and my wife have like, we've been gung-ho in a direction and had things change course last minute. But as of right now, we're closing on a 10-acre farm up in Michigan, just across the border of Indiana, Michigan. I grew up in South Bend, Mishawaka area of Indiana, and this is just across the border. 1882 farmhouse, 
the couple that's owned it has been like permaculturing the 10 acres for the last 20 years. She teaches at Notre Dame permaculture. So if you've seen the documentary of like, I think it's called The Biggest Little Farm or something like that about this couple in California that buy this totally, the land is barren on this farm and they like nurse the land back to health using like sort of permaculture methods. We're going to be doing that on even like smaller scale, you know? So something me and my wife have dreamed about for a while and it seems like now it's happening. The city boy that I am has an inside heart that loves farming. I always love growing massive gardens with all the different vegetables. So I'm as part of me that's a little jealous, but also very excited for you. That is such a rewarding experience. So now you were telling us how you found this place. Maybe you wanted to share that. I think that's such a cool story. I think it it means a lot to me and my wife too, as we've had some land and home negotiations in the past that have like were kind of sour negotiations. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that. A sour sort of like negotiation or something. It's not fun. We tend to be, me and my wife function from our heart a lot. We like things that feel intuitive and natural and like they're meant to be happening. Like they're fair. Yeah. Yeah. And so this one, how it turned out, is it's pretty cool, man. I take these long drives a lot of times on Mondays. I'll leave before my kids are up and like get a cup of coffee. And sometimes I'm on the road for six, seven hours because it's it's really good thinking time, praying time for me. And over the months, I found myself meandering farther and farther north on these drives up to where I'm from. And, you know, maybe February or March, right around when this, oh no, the pandemic had already started because I was like just driving around up there in the country and I saw a for sale sign on this like beautiful looking farm you know and I texted my wife I took like a screenshot and I was like check into this and it wasn't anywhere on Zillow or you know any of like the realty sites it was for sale by owner and they'd just forgotten to take down the for sale sign amidst the pandemic because they didn't want to show it but they invited us up and we like they said if you're interested make an offer so we did and like sort of the rest is history you know it's just been working with the owners who've been super helpful and have offered to be consultants along like the lines of helping us learn how to utilize the land and everything else. It's been really friendly and has felt really natural. You know what I mean? Like we weren't hunting for it. I was just driving around yeah. praying, saw, saw a sign. It's like the story you hope for, you know? That's so cool. <laughs> it well, seems like it's, it's Kelsey, who's, who's co-hosting with us today, Kelsey is from Michigan, as am I. So we are very excited that you are right being, being, uh, becoming a Michigander in a way, even though it's just across the border, we're going to go ahead and claim you as a Michigander. That's right. That's right. You know, I was born in Pontiac though, man. So I'm officially oh, a Michigander. Yes. Yeah. That's like yes. right, right by Rochester where I'm from. And I have to say your move sounds a little reminiscent of Wendell Berry. Perhaps do you have any of those influences, Josh? Oh yeah, man. I love Wendell Berry. People like him who are definitely like touch points for my wife and I, I think we latch on to people whose storylines feel like they inform our storylines. And I think, yeah, his Wendell Berry and St. Francis and a lot of these guys who've sort of went out to obscure places. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to draw close to God and I'm in the midst of nature. Like those storylines have always been really impactful to me and my wife. So I would definitely say that's a touch point and influence, you know. I, I had a feeling, I really like one um, from one of his poems. There's this quote, it's be joyful though you have considered all the facts. It sounds like you and your family do a good job of that in the midst of all the chaos. 
Sometimes. <laughs> what will you use the farm for? What will you hope to uh, to leverage it for? Will you cultivate it? It sounded like you wanted to grow things. I think we're allowing ourselves a couple of years to kind of grow into it. You know, there's okay. some stuff that is like perennial that'll come up naturally next year and will you know, get a cat, get a dog, and then slowly start chickens, maybe sheep, goats, grow things, you know. But I think that I'm also very conscious that even though it's only 10 acres, which is a lot for those of us who've grown up in the burbs, you know, it's going to take some time to like understand how to do this in a way that is life-giving. And yeah, I mean, even this home we're in now, it's taken two or three years just to figure out the nuances of how to make life function, you know, a rhythm with a family of seven. How do you like work life in a way that is effective and life-giving. So I think like a small farm like that, it's going to be several years of figuring out, okay, how are we going to utilize this, you know? But then there'll be the other parts of our life, which are like, I'll build a studio in the pole barn and you know, I'll be doing things like that as well. You're going to keep pumping out music and recording and pumping out some great songs for us to contemplate. Yeah. I mean, that's like, it's part of what I naturally am drawn to, you know, but in some ways we've realized over the years, I can't just sit in front of a computer or in a studio with instruments nonstop every day. Like there's something about that, that I've grown tired, you know, of like only doing that thing. And I need like outside stimulus, you know? So So I think this is a little bit in answer to me, like needing to get my hands dirty. I've got five kids. So the phrase that gets thrown around in our family a lot is meaningful occupation, you know, rather than just saying, kids are driving me crazy, go outside, you know, like, there's things that have to get done outside, you know what I mean? So like us learning and then training our kids how to cultivate, how to care for things, how to mend things, you know. So yeah, there's a lot. Did you call that meaningful occupation? Meaningful occupation rather than just keeping our kids busy or distracted, you know. Yeah. Um, so they have a, you, you have a collective sense of purpose as a family. Yeah. If you're going to expend energy, let's make it worth something. That's my thought, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah man. Oh, I love that. That's uh, that makes a lot of sense. I think Jesus gives all of us a calling and a purpose, and everything we do can have meaning in it. And to see you doing that at your family level and taking intentionality to really flesh that out and foster that, that's something special. Cool. Well, let's hope it works. Yeah. So you're going to have a a recording studio, God willing, in this new place, wherever it might be. Maybe it'll be this Michigan place. Maybe not. We'll see. But uh, wouldn't it be great if you were there? You know, and you were talking a little bit how you can't be in the constant recording in front of a screen all the time. You need to to be out doing something else. I wonder if that's kind of like you've discovered a little bit of your creative process. Is that part of your creative process? And how how long did it take you to discover that's how God had made you and that's what you needed to do in order to create things that were beautiful, that were God-honoring? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think there's been elements of that in my life my whole life, you know, I've always been my father's son that I'll take long nature walks or something like finding solace, getting outside of closed walls, letting my eyes open up. But I would say there's, it's sort of reached a crescendo the past few years, even coinciding with moving back to the Midwest. Upon arrival, I started working on this album, Crystalline, that I put out a year ago, which compared to my latest album, Crystalline's very layered and a bit more complex as far as production and sounds go. Yet the creation of that was the first time I really like disciplined myself and paid attention to the times that I'm like in studio and there's this familiar feeling where your neck gets sore and your eyes and head get hot and 
you go upstairs or the kitchen to get a snack and like everything feels loud and everything feels irritating. And, and in the past I would just be like, ah, and like get a cup of coffee and like go back to work for another four hours or something, you know? And then by the end of the day, just be like, I can't engage in any deep conversation. You're fried out. I'm fried out. You know what I mean? So really coming into a point in life where I think with like, health nagging health issues that I feel like are connected to years of pushing, pushing, hustle, toil, being so hungry and like enjoying the work, but wielding myself and my energy to this point that I realized there was a breaking point. And I mean, those who have followed me for years know that I've talked about this many times before. There's, there's a breaking point, you know, where like whatever reserve of energy I had was like diminished to a point that my body's paying for it, you know? Yeah. So paying attention to my own body and my own spirit saying, I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like this, you know? Not healthy. Um, it's, yeah, it's not that you need to quit this thing that you love, but how you're doing it is not healthy, you know? Upon arrival here, like taking, and my wife's such a good cheerleader along these lines, taking days or whole mornings instead of like, okay, like we're done with breakfast. I'm going to go into the studio all day now, take a drive, go for a walk, journal do things that normally were reserved for like quiet times or your day off. Okay. I'm going to take the morning and just be still and, and journal. That can be every day is, is what I came to, you know, realizing I need to learn how to like refuel myself and have the work come out of a place of peace and come out of a place of rest. And I think that's only been growing that sense of that being a real need anything worthwhile I do or even being able to do things sustainably without destroying myself or my health over and over again has to come out of this place of like communion with the Lord, knowing identity. And honestly, that word peace, well, we'll like dive into that more, but that it's a very important idea and a very important reality to be laid hold of that I think is something we want to talk about. Do you find that as you are able to slow down and that when you did get down to the creating drawing board or the, the to write the song or to play the song, do you feel like it just it was that much easier to create the thing God was putting on you because you had taken so much time to just decompress and allow yourself to be free and, and present in the moment? Did the creation process change for you? Like in terms, did it shift from feeling like I had to grind some things out now? It just seems to just flow. Um, sometimes I wouldn't say it always just was like a flow though, you know, but. I did realize that upon the completion of that album, Chrysaline, years ago, or a year ago, whenever I released it, that it was noteworthy to me that, hey, I'm finishing this album, and I'm not feeling like deep levels of anxiety welled up beneath the surface, where albums in the past, because I sort of do a lot of my own engineering, and I take part in the mixing, and sort of refining the artwork i'm very hands-on with all the different aspects of the creative process that by the very end when everything's bottlenecking and you're finishing and you've set deadlines for yourself there'd be these times where i'm realizing now they're almost like what an anxiety attack feels like where you're like you're you've been holding on so tightly to a thing and sort of your world has become so small that it's all focused on this one thing that you're trying to finish whether you're writing a book or whatever it is you know yeah, And I realized as I was finishing that album, like, I've been in my studio less because I've taken sometimes half of every day to just do some, like, life-giving soul work. 
So I've spent half the time in the studio. I finished this faster than I've ever finished anything else. Once again, I don't know that it was easier or I was just in the flow. It still like requires toil work, but I finished it quicker and I wasn't the pressure hadn't mounted to where when I was crossing the finish line, I was like spent, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'd say like that happened, you know, it didn't necessarily go from, it was hard work. All of a sudden it was easy work. It went from, yeah, time was used more efficiently and I finished without exhausting myself. Which Um, is key. Yeah. 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 So so you just got done with a project and you're, you know, it's on your website, joshgirls.com. And it's this, you know, I've been listening to your album on the platform I use and it's the new album you have, Peace to All Who Enter Here. And you talk about how you created that during the quarantine. Talk a little bit with us about your inspiration behind that and what gave you the idea? What was the motivation driving you to to hunker down in your garage? And, yeah. And yeah. I think first off, I didn't set out to make an album, which I think is maybe important. I wasn't, it wasn't on the radar that I was going to do that. Another factor is... I'd been feeling before this quarantine ever hit, before this pandemic ever hit, I really felt like the Lord had been telling me to like not tour. Like his words were strong, like don't tour anymore. And my response was like, I'll cut down my touring. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I've always been like slowly obeying, you know, while still letting (laughs) things trickle through. But then it was like, man, any musician, you know, that part of your vocation's like gone indefinitely might come back within a year. Some people are saying five years before like general public is going to feel totally safe going into closed quarters by the thousands Wow! to watch a live event. And so in some ways it was just confirming to me like, whoa, you were, you were leading me this direction before this thing ever happened. So in some ways, my family moving into this time, we already homeschool. He'd already been telling me not to travel. It was sort of like, confirmation and then and as i say that i'm realizing there are going to be people listening to this that are like oh lucky you you know because i know a lot of people their vocation got just hacked off at the ground you know what i mean like scrambling because their small business had to close its doors or something you know i realize not everyone got to experience what i and my family experienced was just sort of a confirmation of the lifestyle we'd already sort of been moving towards anyway it's not everyone's story, you know. Um, interesting because uh, my husband is a pianist and he had been playing for the Chicago Children's Choir. And then when the quarantine started, it just cut off immediately because it's yeah. all centered around group gatherings. So that's right bad to see that. But lately, it seems like music is coming back a little bit in public, yeah. settings, even that's with right. masks on. But I want to ask you a question about one of the songs on your album. Um, Your music has always struck me as very honest and raw, and I get the feeling a lot of people are drawn to it for that reason. For example, the song Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus is so beautiful. I love your rendition of that. And last year I went on a silent retreat when I was living in Texas and the priest had us look at a picture of the holy face of Jesus uh, for prayer and reflection. And something about that was really peaceful. And I think it was just thinking on Jesus. And I'm wondering, what was it like for you to record that song and how do you 
turn your eyes to Jesus the way that particular hymn calls us to do? I think maybe just a continuation to answer that question and to continue to answer Oliver's question is that within this time where we were all sort of separated from one another and closed off, you know, it felt like a forced sort of retreat or sabbatical in some weird ways, you know. So in that garage space where I recorded it, like I grew accustomed to like once we'd had family breakfast and everyone's set doing their things, I would just go out there and sometimes for hours at a time, just make a cup of tea and walk pace in circles and began to grow accustomed to, I guess what you'd say would be a discipline of like seeking the Lord, you know? And those are the things that have been growing over the years. Like any spiritual mentor will tell you, you know, you got to read the word, you got to pray. And it's, it's just sort of this no brainer, but at the same time, when the muscle, like working out, when a muscle starts to be used more and more, you, you're you able to sort of go farther and farther or lift heavier loads. And you begin to see outcome from time spent doing a certain thing. And I think that's been maybe the exciting part of this journey for me and my wife is like realizing the importance of worship, which in years past, I didn't totally recognize the importance of it beyond like, oh, here's a song about the Lord that helps renew my mind or something. But there's actually, there are things happening to us in our interaction with the Lord when we can enter into worship and prolong times in prayer that sometimes it takes an hour or so just for me to get past distractions in my own mind and ways that's just paying off to like try to solve problems or worry about something or, but when we can like lock in with the Lord, it's, it's like a really beautiful, sacred space to be in and it makes you hunger for more of it. I mean, I liken it often to someone who likes to run or something that there's this point at which a day doesn't feel right. If they haven't gone out and like gone on a significant run, something feels off. They, you begin to enjoy this thing that at first was a chore, you know, um, at first hurt and was uncomfortable that I think like, time spent with God, it actually, you begin to like work this spiritual muscle. I don't, maybe that's not the best analogy, but it works for me. No, I think that's a beautiful analogy because as you're, as you're talking, I'm thinking, I know that when I talk to my wife and we talk about running, she always says, you know, that the first, the first bit, and for me, the first bit, it's always the first quarter mile. I have an injury that lingers and it takes me about a quarter mile to shake the feeling and the pain. And it reminded me a little bit of how you were just talking. Sometimes it takes you a whole hour to like let go of those distractions and to get into the zone. I think it's a beautiful analogy that works on a lot of different levels for the discipline of trying to seek the Lord. And, yeah. and it is a process. And you have to kind of let the process unfold and realize that it's going to maybe hurt or take a little longer than you had hoped for and, yeah. and not necessarily work to the way you were hoping it was going to work initially. But once you get in yeah. the zone, it's a beautiful flow. Yeah. But Kelsey, to loop back too, because I realize I'm answering both of your questions like, <laughs> you're good, you're good. I'm a question late on every answer. Um, <laughs> But I think there's something too, like, so those time spent out there and actually like even just acapella or maybe having a guitar and singing like these simple songs that were the ones that alone in that time of like searching and seeking, those are the songs that my heart and my spirit wanted to sing, that they felt very honest to this moment of like trying to connect with the Lord, you know what I mean? So I think there is, over the years, there's slowly, I think, beginning to discard and take off 
this maybe sense of the type of sound or song that one should sing if they're looking for more widespread acclaim or acceptance or crossover potential or he's a Christian, but he like says it in a way that is cool. You know what I mean? Like all those games you can play to like write songs about the faith or about the Lord while still trying to like have some preservation of how you're viewed perception management. You know what I mean? I think it's been this, I just want to continue to let whatever that is like slide off of me, you know? So I grew up in countercultures and subcultures where that was just the name of the game is you're very circumspect as to like what is working and what is not working. And you're choosing culturally your touch points that will sort of build up your sense of identity and people's awe and adoration of you because of your ability to curate this sort of like cultural identity. And it's alive and well in the church and it's alive and well and with Christian creatives. I know it and I know what it tastes like because I've lived that way throughout my life, you know? So I think there's, as I grow older, there's this sense of like, I want to start to like shed that as much as I can. So I think even peace to all who enter here a little bit, it was this, you know, I'm going to like sing this simple song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Cause I, this is really powerful to me. And this is, this feels so true and right, you know, I'm, and trusting that there's some that that's going to connect with. And there are some that are going to think I've lost the knack or something because it's not culturally sensitive or something, yeah. you know, but letting that kind of slide off and say like, but this is, this is, who this I is what am. my soul needs. And I think this is what probably other souls need too right now is very simple peaceful truths that'll bring us to him you know i resonate so much with what you are saying and i being a pastor and being around a lot of different ministries and and ministry leaders and people what you're saying is is so important that i think a lot of us don't realize that we're even it's even upon us where we are at the center everybody's looking at us there's part of us that likes the applause there's part of us that you know wants to continue to put on the veneer of whatever and yeah. i love what i'm hearing you say it's like you know what I, I have to find myself and who god's created me to be and to shed some of the the ways that i'm trying to be dialed into the cultural scene of what i should look like or the mm-hmm. edginess that i should portray and I, I think the jesus way is really like hey i just want you i want josh mm-hmm. i want oliver i want kelsey just for who we are because yeah. you're my child and i love you no matter what you can if you want josh's music it is on his website joshgirls.com it's also on spotify itunes on every music platform his new album is out we hope you'll check it out it's peace to all who enter here it's a nice short album with some brilliant low-key peaceful rhythms for you to check in and tune into so hope you do that all right i'm oliver hersey host of the transforming discipleship podcast a podcast brought to you by smallgroups.com we want to thank all the ministry leaders out there who have tuned into this episode if you are finding this podcast to be helpful to you in your ministry would you please share it with other ministry leaders and, and do us another favor would you rate us right after this episode on itunes We appreciate that. And as always, if you need more ideas or resources, we hope that you'll visit smallgroups.com in order to look at our books, our Bible studies, and other training tools that might be helpful to you as you continue building your small group ministry. You can also subscribe to get unlimited access to great materials that will help you to train leaders and also get ready for the next ministry season. Until next time, my friends, God bless.